Hi. Um, we have been working through a series entitled The Foundations of Our Faith, looking at the book of Genesis and the first three chapters. We have talked about who God is. We have talked about creation. And now this morning we're going to talk about mankind. Going to tackle questions like, what does it mean to be human? What makes us different from the rest of creation? Who am I? These questions have been around a long time, and there have been many, many answers of, over the years as mankind has sought to, to understand himself. This is one common theme. In all of these writings and talks, is that they ultimately, as wonderful as they may be and as helpful as they may be, they all in some way amount to man defining himself, trying to understand and explain himself. But in contrast to all the theories of man, the Word of God explains who we are in relation to God, how he defines us, how he created us. I want to be clear, I'm not against, that is a beautiful, it's all good. I didn't even tell what that is. Is that, that's not a... uh, it's a, oh audio oh it's the Bible okay let's listen let's just listen to the Bible <laughs> that's all right it's going to provide some enjoyment for for many many people no awesome so the Bible has answers to who we are and and you know what I'm not against philosophy and anthropology and and learning from other people. It's good. I kinda, I'm kind of ought to actually like enjoy that. Reading some old um, guy who was telling us about who we are. Um, but what I am for is evaluating man's thoughts. And learning to look at our world around us. And the things that we're being taught. And, and looking at what does the word of God say about those things. So that's where we want to go this morning, and we're going to go very back to the very beginning, to Genesis chapter 1 again. I know it's three, three weeks in Genesis chapter 1. Well, maybe we should spend more time there. I don't know. It's good stuff. But we're also going to turn into Genesis chapter 2, and so keep your, keep your hand ready to flip back and forth a little bit. Between the two, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 to 28 is going to be our focus this morning. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 begins, let us make man. And then in verse 27, after God has declared his plan, his intent, his desire, We read, so God created mankind. 
Male and female, he created them. The first thing that we learn in these verses is that mankind is created. Maybe it's obvious, but it needs to be said, we are not God. The fact that we're created means that mankind is not self-ruling or self-defining. Or to be self-worshipping. We live under God. For He created us. He defines us. He tells us who we are. The very first page or two of the Bible. And all throughout. The Bible teaches that human beings are created beings. And by, by the way, contrary to what you're told in school today there are, there are only two genders that's that's god created male and female he created them so the bible teaches us that human beings male and female are created beings the lord jesus christ god is the one who defines us who tells us how we were created, what God's intention, what His purpose is for mankind. The Bible also teaches us that mankind is different from the rest of creation. We are created, we are created different, uniquely created. Verse 27 tells us, in the image of God, He created them. Or, him, male and female, he created them. The difference between man and beast is evident in the world around us. Um, scientists have discovered a lot of amazing things about animals, but nothing that compares to mankind. Now that's been under attack, this idea that there's a distinction between man and beast for many, many years. And it's interesting. I was reading a two-part series of articles on BBC.com. And the first article was all about the, the similarities between chimpanzees and humans. And the intent of the article was to tell us these amazing things about chimpanzees. And there are some pretty neat things. And then to say that we are then alike. We are, we are the same. But um, then they ran a second article about how humans are unique. I guess maybe it was that they wanted to be unbiased. I'm not sure. But for some reason they felt it necessary to explain then how, is, how mankind is unique. And in that article, they, they mentioned a number of things. I liked what one of the scientists said on there. He, he's a researcher, and he researched chimpanzees. And, and this is what he said. He said, well, we're chatting and doing an interview, and they are not. So there's a bit of a difference there, a bit of a, a big difference. If you ask me, um, even these chimpanzee researchers are recognizing and BBC.com has written an article about how we're unique. 
course, the article cites for us and tells us its evolution is the solution. It tells us that our advanced language skills evolved as we had bigger brains, and somewhere along the line, a, a switch triggered in our brain that told us now we're now we're more intelligent, now we're able to speak and communicate and all of that. And that is the reason that, the only reason that uh, many people will admit that we're different. The Bible has another answer for why mankind is not like the rest. God's word teaches us that we were created differently. So we read, and I quoted at the very beginning, Genesis 1.27, in the image of God, he, we were created. That was God's plan. Let's uh, flip over to Genesis chapter 2. And here we're told the, the manner in which God created mankind. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So notice that's a little bit different than the way that God created and what we read over and over in Genesis chapter 1. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And here we're the manner of creation, the manner of the way that man is created is different. God formed man, took dust and he formed it and he breathed life into the man so that man is created in a unique way. And not only was Adam created in a unique way, Eve was also created very uniquely. God took a rib from Adam of the same substance as Adam and God formed Eve. God created mankind in a unique way to show they were different from the rest of creation. We see man's uniqueness again in Genesis chapter 2. Um, in verses 19 and 20. Now this is between the creation of Adam and Eve. And what we're told there is that God brings the animals to Adam for him to name. And Adam names them all. And none of the animals was found to be a fit companion for Adam. Adam was distinct from all the other creatures. God, that's why God created Eve, that she would be a fit companion like him and yet able to complete him. So we're taught in the scriptures that mankind is uniquely created. It's important that we don't lose sight of that in our world that is pointing out all of the similarities. I want us to see that there is no difference between man and beast. 
But that's not what the Word of God says. Well, man's uniquely creative. Well, what do I do with that? Why? What is this about? Mankind was uniquely created, Word of God tells us, to represent God. Mankind was created in the image and likeness of God. If you would turn back from Genesis chapter 2 to Genesis chapter 1 in verse 26, we read there again. Um, I don't think we can read it too many times. I've been referencing it, but I want to read it now. Um, It is here that we learn mankind is set apart. Set apart by divine plan, divine pattern. And a divine purpose. Verse 26 says. Then God said. Let us make man. In our image. After our likeness. And let them have dominion. Over the fish of the sea. And the birds of the air. And over the livestock. And over all the earth. And over every creeping thing. That creeps on the earth. We'll stop there. Notice that first God's decree, his divine plans, he says, let us make man. When's the last time you thought about the Lord's plan that he would choose? He say at the beginning, let us make man. And not only does God decree this, but he sets out to he decrees to make man after a divine pattern. He says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. And then finally, we see the purpose in all of this. He says, let them have dominion over the fish and the birds and the livestock, over all the earth. God, by his own decree, made human beings to be like him. And they were to demonstrate that likeness in God's original intent by ruling over the earth under God's authority. That's pretty amazing. It's pretty Special to think that mankind was uniquely created, created in God's image. Now, probably that brings up the question of what does the image of God mean? What does it look like? What does it mean to, as I said earlier, to represent God? The word image is used of of statues. It has the idea of a copy of something. And the word likeness has the idea of resemblance. Something is similar. It looks alike. So, So first off the bat, we see that it doesn't mean being equal to or identical to or the same nature as. 
But mankind is created after divine pattern to be like unto God. It also expresses the idea of a representative. Someone who represents another person. In those days, an image, um, when we read the literature at the time, almost always referred to a king, the image of a king or the image of a god. And so we know in some ancient Near East cultures that um, the king indeed was referred to as the image of the gods. He was the, the one who ruled on behalf of the gods. And so the people would then listen to this king. They had to obey him, and and some of these kings would set up images in their land as a sign of their presence and their authority. And in Genesis, God, through Moses, teaches the people of Israel as they've come out of the land of slavery that he placed Adam and Eve as living images of himself to represent him on the earth that he had made. In the same way that a picture or a statue reveals what a king is like, God created mankind to reveal what he is like. Our purpose is to be the visible representatives of of the invisible God who is spirit. Representing him upon this this earth. Our purpose is to represent the king of kings. I think it's worth thinking about that for a moment. It's a high calling. Is that really, really what it means? Wow. But it maybe still leaves us with questions like, how am I exactly like God? What are the ways that God has called me to represent him in this world? And what does that look like today? Well, I want to answer those questions. Um, and first of all, I would like to suggest a few thoughts when we think about the image of God. And the first one, as I have mentioned, is that uh, we are created, we are not God. We are created in his likeness, but we are not created equal to God. And so we cannot share in what makes God distinct. He alone is God. He alone made the heavens. He alone is sovereign Lord of the universe. We may conclude from the fact that we're made in the image of God that we're like God in many ways. But there is, as Paul wrote to Timothy, only one who is the blessed and only sovereign. There's only one who alone has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light. 1 Timothy chapter 6. Verses 15 to 16. 
We are not equal to God. Everything about him is far beyond who we are. He is the eternal, all-powerful, all-knowing, everywhere present God. And these are not attributes with God, which God shares with anyone. So the first thing is that we cannot share in what makes God distinct. He alone is God. The second is that the term image of God is is a broad term. And, And I say that it's a broad term because Many, many times I've, we see that people are trying to, to narrow it down to one thing. It's like, I'm, we are like God in this, or we are like God in this. And, and so there are um, many ways the image of God has been interpreted. Um, I want to mention the three most common. I know maybe some of you go, well, why does this matter? It matters because it's how we begin to think of ourselves. And uh, so hopefully this will be helpful and not just more information. But the three views I want to mention is one is the substantive view. And this is the view that the image of God is, is who we are. You are in, in whatever, what makes up your person is, is the image of God. This is probably the most common view. The second view is the functional view. That is the image is about what we do. It's about our role. It's about dominion. It's about ruling. It's about obeying God. And the third view is that it's about relationship. It's a relational view. And this is the view that the image of God is specifically about our ability to relate to one another and to God. And so these are the views that are out there. Problem is, it's really hard to isolate who we are and what we do and how we relate. They're all connected and we are a whole person. So I do tend to struggle with saying it's one this or the other. Um, I am glad for those that have articulated the different views and helped understand, you know, what does this, what does it mean to be human? Um, there's, there's a lot of overlap between the views. The first view the substantive view, that's who we are, basically compares us to God and seeks to draw parallels, okay? Parallels between who God is and who I am. So for example, we could say, like God, we have a personhood or a consciousness. I'm a person, Um Like God, we could say that I have a volition. That means the ability to make choices, a will. Like God, we can say I have emotions, feelings, the ability to reason, intellect, a mind. Like God, the ability to love and to act morally. 
and so on. Sometimes these have been summed up as God's communicable attributes. And what they're saying is they're drawing a distinction between that which is God and God alone and that which, for example, the ability to relate to one another um, definitely reflects God to some, in some way. Um, and uh, that's actually where the relational view comes in. Is they completely want to focus on that's the one attribute. It's that we can relate to God and we can relate to others. That's what sets us apart. That's the image of God. Almost always, whether it's relationship or a man's ability to reason, uh, almost always one attribute is singled out as kind of the most important. And sometimes that's just personality and, and who a person is. So maybe an artist likes to talk about man's ability to create uh, and, and make things or do, do uh, you know, just uh, be, be creative. Uh, maybe um, a philosopher is more interested in thinking and reason and those sorts of things. And a lot of us, I think, are thinking about our relationships with others, and that's why relationship has become a view that we think about a lot more. And I think it's important because it's a part of who we are, how God made us. So basically, this is just a view that, you know, that that all these different attributes that set us apart from creation, and we can see that God is like this, and, and I am like this to some degree. Um, and we're looking at that and saying, you know, who, who are we? These different aspects of who we are. thing is that sometimes we stop there. And so... The third point that I'd like to make is, is that these qualities that make us uniquely human are not an end to themselves. The qualities that make us who we are, whether that's the ability to relate or to speak or to feel or to think, they're a part of how God made us so that we would love and serve and obey Him so that we would live out our lives representing him. And that's the emphasis of this functional view, that the image of God is about what we do actively representing God. We are who we are for a purpose, that we are uniquely created by God in his image so that we would reveal his glory. Now, I don't know about you, but I can, I can see some faces that I'm just like, people are thinking, and I think that's a good thing. I'll take it as a good thing. But the reason that I'm bringing this up is because it is a complicated subject, and because we as human beings, we're pretty complicated. And trying to understand myself is hard enough. But looking to the Word of God, we begin to see this vision that we were created to be like God, that we might live for God. And so it is a useful thing to think about what are the ways in which I am 
different from creation? What are the ways in which I'm like God? Whether that be in our ability to reason, to think, to communicate, to relate. And then also to think about how God made us this way so that we would live for him. So that we would represent him. So I want to talk a little bit about how do we represent God? We could say that we're unique in many ways. What does this look like? Well, Genesis begins and it tells us something very specific. Genesis chapter 1 again, 26 to 28. We learn that we represent God by exercising the authority He's given us over all the earth. So God says in Genesis 1 verse 26, let them have dominion. And he lists all the areas, all the different animals and creatures and over the earth. And then in verse 28, God says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the heavens, and every living thing that moves on the earth. So we see here that the purpose of mankind is, is to, twofold, is to be fruitful, multiply, to fill the earth, and to rule the earth. To fill the earth, all I'm going to say about that is God's desire is not for one couple. God's desire was for a whole people who reflect his image. I think it's important that we see that in God's design and his purpose for humanity, that God desired a whole people who would represent him who would love him, who would serve him with all their being. What does it mean, though, to rule, to care for the earth, to care for the earth or to cultivate it is what God says in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. God gave the garden to work it and to keep it, to care for it. And there's this talk of subduing, cultivating, maintaining the world that God's given. And if you're like me, you, you sometimes wonder to yourself, well, wouldn't it be nice if I was living in a perfect, lovely garden where God provided all that I needed and I could just hang out with lions and not worry about getting eaten? I think it's sometimes hard to bridge the gap between this call to, to have dominion over the earth as, as Adam was commanded and where we are today. We go, how does this match up? Like, like I don't see this in my day-to-day -day life. Of what does dominion really look like? What does caring for the earth look like? Well, my answer is, is that uh, it looks the same as before, but we need a redeemer. 
I want to unpack that. It looks the same as before, but we need a redeemer. Turn to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2 describes for us what life was like before the fall. We looked at the uniqueness, the creation of, of mankind. And uh, now I want to look a little bit deeper and key in on two thoughts. Mankind was to work and to keep what God had tasked them with. Mankind was to work and to keep what God had tasked them with. And they were to do this in two ways. And that is according to his commands and in community. According to his commands and in community. So we'll look at that. Um, after God created mankind in Genesis 2 verse 7, he created man. Verses 8 to 14 describe the beautiful land God bountifully provided for Adam to live in. And then in verse 15, we're told that God had planted an orchard, a garden, and he placed man there to work it and to keep it. Or to cultivate and to maintain it. The command to rule here is reiterated and it sounds a lot less noble. <laughs> sounds like work in the garden, working and keeping it. And, and no doubt that involved the gardening and cultivating plants and, I don't know, keeping track of the animals or whatever. But really the principle here is serving God with what he had given them. He had given them that garden to keep and to work. And so God has given us work. He has given us tasks. He's given us a sphere in which to live and to work. And like Adam, we are to work and to keep it as service to the Lord. Think about 1 Corinthians 10.31. Whatever you eat, whatever you drink, whatever you do, do it all to the, anybody? Glory of God, right? We see this all the way back in Genesis as, as Adam is tasked with this responsibility to represent God, to serve the Lord in working and keeping the garden in this beautiful place that God had given him. And we know there was one stipulation. We can read that in Genesis 2, verses 16 to 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you will not eat, shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Man was responsible to keep God's commands to work and to keep the garden in accordance to his ways. To enjoy what God had given him, but there, there was a command here. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. There was a consequence for that. 
uh, for disobeying that command. In the same way, today we are called to represent God under His authority, according to His ways. We represent Him by living according to His word in whatever He's given us to do. Secondly, we represent God like Adam and Eve in community. You know, Adam did not rule alone. He did not work alone. God said in Genesis 2, verse 18, it is not good that man should be alone. Brothers and sisters, we, we cannot represent God as we were intended on our own. We were uniquely created to represent the king Yes, by serving God in all things according to His commands, we were also uniquely created to represent the King in community. God created man and woman so that they might fill the earth with a people, a whole people of every tribe and tongue and nation the book of Revelation talks about before the throne, worshiping the Lord, worshiping the Lamb of God. And so, like Adam and Eve, we were created to represent our King, representing Him in all things, in the work that He has given us, in accordance with his word, accordance with his ways, his character. You do that together as the body of Christ. I also mentioned um, the need for a redeemer earlier. And I want to end here because it's important. Because it's not enough to just know this is my purpose to say to people, you need to represent God. You were created like Him. We need some help. I'm going to back up just a little bit. The Bible teaches us in at least three places that man remains in God's image and likeness after the fall. We can read about this in Genesis 5, verse 1. It talks about Adam again, and then Seth in, in Adam's likeness, and so on. We read about this in Genesis 9, verse 6, where God said after the flood that man should not shed another man's blood. And the consequence would be that that man's blood should be shed because we are in the image of of God. And the book of James, the author, uh, James, he tells us that we ought to treat all people with kindness because they are in the likeness of God. So I want to be clear that 
every human life has great value and purpose. I don't want to lose sight of that. We talk about the need of a redeemer. We need a redeemer, but we also need to recognize the value of all life. Nonetheless, fallen humanity does not represent God as we are. We can see this all throughout the scriptures. We're going to talk about it more next week. One of the scriptures that came to mind was Isaiah 53, where the prophet says that all we like sheep have gone astray. Astray from our purpose, astray from the care and the protection of the king and his ways, the shepherd. Could speak of the image then as fallen. But the way of salvation is through Christ whom, as we read in our memory verse, is the image of the, of who? The invisible God. Jesus Christ is the image of God perfected. For he who knew no sin, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, he who was the perfect son of God who fulfilled all righteousness and never once sinned. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteousness of God. You see, it is because of him, the perfect son of God, it is because of his death and resurrection that we might be reconciled to God and brought anew into His service. Do you believe that, Christ, that uh, you are saved in Christ alone? That His death equals your righteousness by faith in Him? Praise God. You know that in that same passage, just a few verses before, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He is redeemed, reconciled to God in a relationship where it could be said that the righteousness of God, His righteousness is what is seen in our lives. Again, in that passage, Paul calls himself an ambassador for Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. I brought you here because we see not only the perfect Son of God who imaged God perfectly and who redeems that image of God, but also because then we see that calling to Reflect the Lord God to represent him in this world as an ambassador, a representative of the king of kings. 
so that that image is redeemed in Christ. That we might serve him as we were intended to. Same as before. Serving God in whatever we do by living according to his ways together as the body of Christ. That's a process. All of life being conformed to the image and likeness of Christ. Romans 8 verse 29. That's the purpose. The purpose for which God works all things for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. His purpose is that we would be conformed to the image of likeness of Christ, coming to know our King, our Savior, and his ways and his values to imitate him, to love him. So I ask, in what ways do others see the image of Christ in me? In what ways do they see the image of Christ in us as as his body? In what ways does God want me to be more like him? We began with the question, who am I? What does it mean to be human? And we learned in Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 to 28, that God, our Creator, has created us and given us a purpose, an amazing purpose and value in life. And although we've rebelled against that purpose, which is the topic for next week, there is one who perfectly represents God. And he has died and risen again so that you and I would be set free to represent our King and live for his glory today. 